Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. We look at the stock market and what makes it go up and down. We look at financial legislation that could impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we look at different financial planning topics in more detail to help you understand them better. And then finally, in my favorite segment of the show, the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you'd like to submit a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you'll see a button where you can submit your question. Then I'll be in contact with you and get a little bit more information to make sure I understand the details, and then I can craft an educational answer that will be useful for the people listening to the show, as well as you. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market and economic update, and this is for the week ending March 6th, 2020. Now, I will tell you that I am taping this show on March 9th, which is a Monday, and I know that people listen to the show throughout the week, so I really want to put the date into context. It generally doesn't matter quite this much, but so far this morning, before I came to tape the show, they've halted stock trading because it dropped over 7%, and it's back quite a bit from that, but the last number I saw was the Dow still down 1,600 points. So, I want to start out by talking about last week, because it's important in spite of the fact that we also need to take a longer-term perspective on all of this. I suspect if someone had asked you Friday when the market closed, if the market had closed up or down for the week, you would have said it closed way down, because I thought that until I started hearing a little data and then I did some of my own checking. Actually, last week the market closed up. Now, there were a couple of days of potentially good news to the market. Maybe that good news was a one-off, but in spite of how crazy it was, and if you're listening to the show again looking for context, it's the week of Super Tuesday. There were some things that the market really liked, and actually for last week, when the market closed on Friday, the Dow was up 1.79% for the week. Now, if you want to look at it in a larger context, over the last month, as of last Friday, the Dow was down a little over 11%. The S&P 500 last week was up about half a percent and down over the month about 10%. Now, gold was up Gold was up 5% last week and 6% for the month. So you can see that really there was a lot of movement to fear from um, gold being people sometimes considered a safe haven. I'm not sure I agree with that. That was not a recommendation that you go buy gold. But I do know that people view it as a safe haven. And as a result, it had a very good week last week. 
Probably the biggest loser as far as yield goes last week was the 10-year Treasury, which as of market close on Friday was 0.767%. That is 70% down for the week. And that's because we had a half a percent interest rate cut last week from the Federal Reserve. And it was unexpected. Okay, sometimes the Fed meets and we have this feeling they're going to lower rates or we think they're going to raise rates. Last week, the market called, or the Fed rather, called a special meeting and they lowered interest rates by half a percent. Their meeting was in conjunction with central banks around the world trying to combat the coronavirus and the potential economic impact that it's going to have on all of these countries. You know, the thing with the virus that's so insidious is not only is it a disease, but it's just shutting everything down. And and that's not a bad thing. You know, over the weekend, the CDC is recommending that people not take cruises for a while. And personally, I don't think that's a bad idea. I'm not a medical person. I'm very happy to leave the medical advice to the medical community. But when people are afraid to go and eat out, when business trips are getting canceled, when cruises are getting canceled, over the weekend, the entire northern quarter of Italy was put into quarantine. The Pope is no longer holding live masses. He's doing live broadcasts. So this is totally disrupting what people do from a consumer perspective. Also, because some offices and businesses are shutting down, it's more of a corporate negative impact as well. So, like I said, last week was not as bad as people thought. Today has been really wretched, and we were down as of Friday by 11% in the Dow. And so roughly right now, I'm going to say we're down about 16% in a month and a day. So... It's not good. I do not want to stand here and tell you that everything is fine and, oh, you should buy the dips or anything like that. I am going to give you some general advice on what to do when you're very afraid. And the answer is don't overreact. Now, that doesn't mean you might not want to make a market portfolio adjustment. You know, I'm very afraid to tell you not to do anything because if this becomes very prolonged, I don't want to give that advice. The flip side is I also am not going to tell you to sell today, okay? I'm just not going to do it because I don't know how long this is going to last. But if you're considering a move Really good advice is don't overreact. So if you're just losing your mind and you feel like you need to cut back on your stock exposure, then take a percentage of it off. Hardly ever is buy it all or sell it all the right answer. We tend to think in terms of extremes when we think about our money and when we think in terms of extremes, we have a tendency to overreact. So when the market is doing well, we get a little too enthusiastic. And when we're in a really awful spot like we are right now, we tend to overreact feeling like it will never come back. You know, it will come back. Even the 2008 um, financial crisis 
was back in the general market in something like three or four years. It's gone down so hard and so fast that it almost feels to me like when they can get a handle on things, some of this will stabilize, and then we'll have the panic selling come back in when we really know where we are. Now, how much comes back? I have no idea what the answer to that is, because it's just going to depend upon how much damage has been done to the global economy with this virus. But I don't want you to lose your mind. This is a very good job to call your financial professional and have a conversation. And the two of you know your circumstances better than anybody you're going to hear on the TV or listen to on the radio or read a blog. So you need to make the plan for what's going to work for you. You don't want to panic. You don't want to just completely lose your mind. Just be cautious, be safe, be aware of what's going on. Um, because, you know, the other thing that's horrible right now is oil, and that has nothing to, well, it's sort of indirectly the coronavirus. It's more an oil war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. And when that stops, this will calm down a lot too. So be aware, be knowledgeable, don't overreact, and do what you think makes sense for you. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today, what I want to talk about isn't exactly legislation, but rather a change in policy. Up until now, the CFP Board of Standards, on their consumer-facing website, has included how a financial planner is compensated. So if you're trying to find a financial planner in your area, you can search by zip code and you can um, look at um, who's available. And part of the information given to you was how those planners were compensated. And there were three choices. There was fee only, fee and commission, and commission only. And those were the choices. And so if you were a CFP certificant, when you filled out your profile, you were required to say how you were compensated. Now, this last week, to great uproar, the CFP board decided to take off of the biographies how the planners were compensated. And at first glance, it might be a little bit distressing. Why have they done this? Well, the board's philosophy is they are now requiring that anyone who holds themselves out as a CFP certificate must be a fiduciary. So CFP board has said anyone using their marks must act as a fiduciary. And as part of the fiduciary duty, it's up to the planner to explain how they are compensated and the planner should have the honest conversation with the client. Now, this may surprise you if you've been listening to the show for a while. I'm not sure that I think the board made a mistake, and let me explain to you why, and let me tell you what you need to ask anyone you're considering working with. So one of the biggest places where I found the fee disclosure complicated was in the sale of insurance. Now, 
not annuities. Remember, annuities have an investment product underneath it. But I'm talking about plain old insurance, life insurance, whether it's term or whether it's whole, disability insurance, long-term care insurance. One of the problems that has existed in the industry, in my observation, and I'm not the only one who writes about this, is how difficult it is to find a good investment insurance product that doesn't pay a commission. So in other words, if you're trying to buy a life insurance policy, let's say it's a plain old term 20-year level policy, it is very difficult to find a product that does not pay the seller commission that is as inexpensive to the client, as well as providing as good of coverage. They can exist in a few cases, but other kinds of insurance, life insurance has a little bit of fee-only product out there, but other kinds of of insurance really don't have a lot of fee-only options. And it can wind up leading to a higher annual cost for the owner of the policy through the fees associated with the policy than the policies that paid the commissions made the person pay. So selling insurance as a fee-only financial planner is incredibly difficult. By removing the compensation label, it would allow a financial planner who had the training and had the licensing and knew what they were doing to offer normal insurance products as part of their practice without being forced into the fee and commission description. Because a lot of times when consumers hear fee and commission, they're assuming it's an investment products. And I've seen financial advisors who have done this, you know, their fee over here and their commission over here and good luck figuring out which one you are. Fee and commission can be a real train wreck when you try to break it down. So by eliminating those descriptions, it may end up with better service to the client. So how does this impact you? The first thing you need to do, and of course, if you're working with a certified financial planner practitioner, they should be assisting you with this. But no matter who you're working with in finance, no matter who you're working with in insurance, anybody who's working with you and some kind of a product that you're going to buy, it's very important to know how they're paid. So it's important to ask them, how do you get compensated? And specifically for this idea that you are sharing with me right now, how are you getting paid for this? And if they say, well, it's not coming out of your money, and if it's a commission, it's not. It's very important then to ask them, you know, well, if I'm not paying for it, who is? Because if you're not, then the company that creates the product is. If someone has the ability to choose between vendors, it's easier for that planner to actually do the vetting to try to choose the product that they believe will be the best for you. And so find out how they chose the product. You know, if it is a commission, well, you know, how, how did they choose the company that's paying them the commission? And what sort of vetting process did they do to make sure that what they're recommending for you is the right investment? Now, that goes across the board, whether you're talking about an investment portfolio, 
Why are they making that stock bond mutual fund exchange traded fund recommendation? If it's an annuity, why do you need it? If it's life insurance, why do you need it? And what did you do to choose the company? That, that would be true for the annuity as well. Finally, there's two more questions. The first question is, how much money are they going to make for providing you with this product? And I'm not using the word selling because in the case of a fee-only advisor, they're charging a fee and they might not consider it a sale. So if you go down this road, how much money is the person making? And now I get a little bit of grief from people with this stand. I think you should ask the question. I think the person who's selling you the product should answer it. This is just my opinion. I wouldn't work with someone who wouldn't. It's just me speaking here. You know, if they're getting commission, there's nothing wrong with getting paid. And I'm not sure really that consumers have the issue with commission as the issue of really expensive commissions that they don't know is being paid. So how much did they get from the company that paid them? It doesn't matter whether you paid it or not. Somebody paid them. Find out how much. And then the third question is, what kind of ongoing expenses are you going to have if you take this advice? So if it's an investment, what kind of ongoing fees are underneath it? If it's an annuity, what are the annuity contract fees, any rider fees, any, um, any of the fees associated with it? You want a number at the end of the day after everything's been added in that's a percentage. If it's a life insurance policy, what are the fees for holding the insurance? So if you know what you own, if you know why you own it, if you know how much the person was compensated for providing it to you, and you know what you're paying on an annual basis, then you have the ability to decide if that's a business transaction you want to enter or not. And then of course, the big question is, Will they commit to being your fiduciary and will they put it in writing? There's a lot of confusion right now in the industry. If you listen to the show or the podcast, you know I talk about this a lot. I believe that everyone who handles your money should act as a fiduciary. And don't let them use another word. It needs to be the word fiduciary and they need to be willing to put it in writing. And if you've got the answer to all of those questions, I'm not sure how they're compensated really matters. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I want to talk about who you listen to when you take financial advice. And this is really born directly out from some of the things that I've been hearing over the last <laughs> two weeks, because that's as long as the market's been going down. And, and the advice that people are giving and the social media things that are being said. And I really want to give you some advice right now on how to know who to listen to. So there's many people who are on media and on social media who are very knowledgeable about the advice that they're giving. The problem is we've created a culture where there are some great equalizers in how loud everyone's voice is. 
You know, you can follow someone on Twitter who's very knowledgeable about public health issues or who's very knowledgeable about investing, and you may follow 10 other people who just have opinions about public health and just have opinions about investing. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with following people, and everyone falls a little bit outside of their lane from time to time. Right now, it's very easy to have opinions that we're not really qualified to have. So if you read something and it's a piece of advice or you listen to someone speaking and it's a piece of advice, I want you to look at their Twitter profile, look at their Facebook profile, Google them, Google their name if you see them on television. Find out their credentials. Okay, so find out whether this is a person who seems to be knowledgeable in what they're talking about. If they're not knowledgeable, you can file the information away and consider it. If they are knowledgeable, I'm not saying you take an action immediately, but their, their opinion might have a slightly heavier worth to you. Now, just because you're knowledgeable doesn't mean you don't have an agenda. So if this is someone who's giving advice, look at what they do and see if there is a personal or business or political value to them over what they're saying. Because sometimes someone is knowledgeable, but they may wear more than one hat. And you need to be sure that the advice that they're giving you is designed to help you not help something that they're trying to support. For instance, if someone is the CEO of a major corporation and they're suggesting to buy the dips, which means every time the market goes down, buy a little bit more, are they doing that because they think that's the right advice or are they trying to prop their own stock price up? So look for agendas that aren't quite as obvious. Then try to get as much information from reputable sources as you can. Go seek out the opinion of the CDC. Look at what multiple um, market analysts are saying about what should be done. You don't want to take any one person's opinion, not even mine, and run with it assuming that, oh, wow, well, that person's really smart. I should go do what they say. You know, you're better off seeking out the information than letting the information just land on you. And then, and I keep hearing this a little to the edges, you know, when I first got into trading, I would actually read the faxes that came through. Yes, we had a fax machine talking about stocks that are going up. For the most part, I don't even get that data anymore. But I'm hearing to the edges, oh, there's there's a secret this, or this company has something that looks like it's going to be great in clinical trials. And you need to be very, very careful because you could be seeing something that is really speculation or outright fraud. 
Now, I'll be the first to say there's a very hard line between speculation and investing. Sometimes we know we're investing. We buy the S&P 500. We buy it in an index fund. We're going to hold it for a long time. You know, we, we know that's investing. But what about buying a single stock? Is that investing or is it speculating? Well, the further away from the norm you get, the more it moves into the realm of speculation. And financial professionals will tell you speculation is a bad thing. I am going to tell you, think of speculation as a bad trip to Vegas. Okay, if you like the idea of, wow, I'm going to put a little money and it's going to go to $5 million, just understand it probably won't if it's speculation. So you don't ever want to invest any more money than you can afford to lose if you're speculating. You know, I, I could take the path and say, oh, don't speculate. But I know a lot of you are not going to listen to that. And I'd rather you take my advice and don't put any more in it than you can afford to lose. Now, related to the speculation is the outright fraud, where you hear about something and they say they're close and it's not really close at all. It's actually just a fraud trying to get you to buy something that doesn't exist. So if you're considering speculating, do a lot of research. In the industry, we call it due diligence. And make sure it's really a company. They're really doing what you think they're doing. You get as much information as you can. And then sleep on it. Okay, this problem is not going to be gone tomorrow. Give yourself time. Don't just rush right out into an impulse stock buy. Think about it before you speculate and only buy what you can afford to lose. But be very careful you don't get caught up in a scam because that will get you into a worse situation. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Remember, if you want to submit a question, go to askpeggy.com and you can hear your question on the air. Today's question is, Peggy, how do I decide what kind of investments to choose? And if I want to work with someone, how do I know they're giving me good advice? Well, with St. Patrick's Day coming up around the corner, I'd like to breathe a little lightness into this show that's been so heavy and dark this week and say that your very best bet would be to find a leprechaun. However, leprechauns are incredibly rare and they're hard to follow and sometimes they disappear right before you get to the pot of gold. So if that isn't going to work, you need a more traditional approach. Remember, first of all, if you are trying to earn a return on your investment portfolio, you have to take risk. We get rewarded by taking risk. And if someone tells you you're going to earn a high return without taking risk, there is a piece of that investment you're not understanding. So you need to be very careful that you break it apart. Remember, too, that being afraid messes with our minds. We don't make good decisions when we're stressed and we have a tendency to panic. So take your time, think things through, and don't shoot from the hip when you're making investment decisions. We talked a lot about costs earlier in the show, and just be careful before you buy something, you know what it costs to purchase it, and you know what costs you'll pay on an annual basis. Then take some time to really look at your investments. 
why do you own something? And I know you're working with a financial professional. They should make the decision. Why should you be bothered with it? Because it's really important that you understand your own money. It will help a good financial professional make better decisions for you, and it will help you have a better understanding of whether or not the person you're working with is doing a good job. You know, I tell people that I want to be like the person who changes the oil in your car. I want you to know how to change the oil. I just don't want you to want to do it. So really take the time a little bit every week. You'll be amazed at how quickly you can make things make sense. And then I really think that the designation of the person you're working with matters. I am a big believer in a certified financial planner practitioner designation, but there's other good designations as well. You need to know what the person had to do to earn the designation, how long did they study, are there continuing education hours, and really make sure it wasn't something they earned from 9 till 12 on a Saturday morning. If you do all of those things, you've got a much better chance of being successful. In the meantime, have a great week. See you next time. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.